Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Good morning, church. There you go. Dealing with anxieties. Dealing with anxieties. This morning, we dive into a text that uh, we've actually dealt with uh, from another direction back in January of 2016. Uh, But we're going to be focusing on a completely different theme uh, from these verses this morning. We're going to be looking from a completely different kind of launching point from these verses this morning. And isn't that a beautiful part about the living and breathing Word of God, that it can speak to us uh, in so many ways, in so many times in our lives, sort of the, the season in our lives, the Word of God, maybe a, a specific uh, word within a text or a specific passage within a chapter kind of stands out to us in a particular season of our lives that maybe we'd never noticed Uh, that way before. But this morning, we're going to be dealing with a subject that I believe is so important to so many people, uh, but too many times we try to pretend it doesn't exist. I think this subject is so important to so many people, but as Christians, uh, too many times we want to appear that we have it all figured out. We want to appear that that we have it all together. We don't have any struggles. Uh, I've got to come and I've got to, I've got to hold my head up high and I can't let anyone know that, that on the inside I'm crumbling. I've got, to, I've got to put myself out there as if I've got it all together because I'm going to the, to the house of the Lord where everybody there has it together. And we put on these, these big smiles and we put on these, these big feelings and we pretend that on the inside we're not, we're not running a thousand miles an hour in a different direction. That in our minds, we're not dealing with some anxieties, dealing with some struggles, dealing with some emotions, and we pretend that we have it all figured out. This morning, the topic is dealing with anxieties. We're going to look at this text. We're going to see what the Word of God says about our anxieties. And if we're being honest, most of us would say that we have dealt with worry or anxiety in one form or another at some point in our lives. For some of us, it can be crippling. Sometimes it can be overwhelming, trying to overcome the feeling that seems to have no explanation. Why do I feel this way? If I'm a child of God, why am I dealing with this? If I know that God's got it all in the palm of his hand, why am I struggling with my worry? Why am I struggling with my anxiety? Why do I feel out of control? My friends, I'm here to tell you that it's okay To feel out of control sometimes. It's okay that we deal with anxieties. Because if God did not know that we were going to deal with worry and anxiety. He wouldn't have put these verses in the Bible for us to learn how to deal with our worries and anxieties. God knew that as fallen people subject to the the nature of sin. We would have these things that we have to deal with. And so he goes to his word and reveals to us in several places. But specifically this morning through the writings of Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, and he, and he kind of lets us look in and see how do we deal with the anxieties in our lives. So let us stand, please, as we honor the reading of God's holy, infallible, and errant word together from 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5 and going through verse 11. Likewise, 
you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. The only way we know how, as humble as we know how, acknowledging that you are a mighty God. And God, we recognize that we don't have it all figured out. We recognize that we, we don't have it all together. And so God, right now, I ask that you would bind any demon from this place. God, you bind any spirit from this place that might inhibit our unadulterated worship of you for the next few minutes, Lord God. That your word would go out to your people. And that lives would be changed. And God, we recognize that that is nothing short of a miracle working of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we ask for, is that your spirit would reign this morning. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. Take no credit of our own. And it's in your precious, saving, and healing name that we pray. And all of God's people said, and you may be seated. Dealing with anxieties, verse 7 Verse 7 is going to kind of be our our theme verse. It's going to kind of be our launching point this morning as we dive into this section of Scripture together. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Casting all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. The word here for cares, the first time it's used, the word here is kind of an interesting word. Here it's translated... As care, casting all your cares upon him. But it's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And there it is translated as worries. And so this same word is translated a couple different ways throughout Scripture. Sometimes it's translated as care. Sometimes it's translated as worries. Some translations would translate it as anxieties. There are many different ways that this could be be pulled out. But the word literally means to be anxious about something. And to be pulled into pieces, not whole. So to be pulled into pieces where you don't feel quite whole. That's what that word literally means. Casting all of your burdens, all of your things that make you feel less than whole. Casting all of the things that make you feel pulled apart. Casting all of the things that make you feel like less than you upon Him. All of the things that would make you feel like you're just not quite right. Casting all of those things on him. Why? 
Because he has an interest in you. That second carry literally to take a special interest in. The way that a, a father might have a special interest in their child. The way that a grandmother may have a special interest in their grandchild. You would want to do anything in the world you could do to comfort that because you have a special interest. And so that verse 7, literally, take all the things that make you feel like you're not you. Put them upon the father because he has a special interest in you. Isn't that exciting? That there's somebody with whom we can put all of our anxieties on and we can know that he has a special interest in us. And the one that has a special interest in us is the one who created everything to begin with. The one who spoke it all into existence has a special interest in me. Now, I don't know about you. I like knowing that somebody has a special interest in me. I like even better knowing that that person thought this whole thing up and breathed it all into existence. I like even better knowing that the one who has a special interest in me can calm the raging seas. I like even better knowing that the one who took a special interest in me could cause the blind man to see. He could cause the dead man to get up. He could heal the little girl without ever going in. He could raise the dead to life, the blind to see, the crippled to walk, the deaf to hear. And he has a special interest in my anxieties. He, the one who did all of those things, has a special interest in me. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not blind. I'm not deaf. I'm certainly not Lazarus dead. And so if God could handle all of those things, could, could he not handle my anxieties? Could he not handle my worries? And if he has a special interest in me, would he not handle my anxieties and my worries? And so the thought is that we should cast those things that pull us to pieces upon him because he cares for us. I have a friend who's dealt with a crippling anxiety and, and described it to me as this, that I know I'm saved. I know God loves me. I know God will take care of me. But I can't shake this awful feeling. And I don't even feel like myself. You ever been there? You ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. Maybe you're embarrassed. You don't want to admit it. I just, I don't, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel like I'm supposed to feel. And you know, we could take that word, it, it said anxieties, but the things that make us feel pulled apart, you could substitute so many things in there for that. Is it, maybe for some it's worry. Maybe for some it's temptation. Maybe for some it's depression. Maybe for some it's, it's whatever it is that may cripple you. Anything that makes you feel like you're pulled apart. Like, like, like you just don't fit just exactly right. That's what fits right there in that, casting all of the things that pull you apart. And you define what that is for you. For everybody, it's something different. That's what makes Satan such a great tempter is he knows how to tempt each and every one of us. He knows what to play on for each and every one of us. He knows where he can get his foothold. The thing that works to get a foothold on Brother Jason might not work to get a foothold on Brother Brian. And what works on Brian won't work with Brother Danny. What works on Brother Danny won't work with Miss Liette. But what we know is that Satan has been going about tempting people since the beginning of time and he knows just how to tempt Danny, Liette, Brian, and Jason in a different way so 
that all of our minds start to deal with something that makes us feel like we're less than we're supposed to feel and we're pulled apart and suddenly we just can't do this thing that we know we're created to do. And that's what Satan does is plays on us. And so we're going to deal with this care, this anxiety this morning. We're going to deal with it biblically. What does the Word of God say? Because the Word of God speaks about it. And we're going to try to learn by the end of this message what the Word of God tells us to do with our anxieties. The first thing I want us to look at this morning is there is a pride that must be humbled. There's a pride that must be humbled. In verse 5, we see an introduction to this mindset. Submit yourselves to the elders, young people. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And then he says this, be clothed in humility. And so as Peter, Peter writes, he's addressing that the young people would submit to the elders. He's talking about then submitting all to one another. Those of you who are, who are older in this place who said amen in your mind when I said the young people should submit to you, go ahead and say oh me because it also says you should submit to the younger people. We should be submitting to one another as we submit to Christ. And what that is, it's, it's kind of this idea, it's kind of a military mindset that we would place ourselves under. And it's kind of the mindset here that we would place ourselves under our leadership. It's a practice in humility. But he goes on, and I think we want to really focus when he says clothed in humility. Clothed in humility. That, that idea is literally that we would put on our humility, and it's kind of like an apron. And here's why I say that. That word clothed literally means binding to yourself. Binding to yourself. So what's the word of God say? He says, if I'm going to kill my pride, what I've got to do is I've got to bind my humility to myself. I've got to put it on. I've got to tie it up tight. I've got to put it and, and tie it down. Why do we have to do that? Because it's not natural to be humble. It's just not natural to be humble. What's, what's natural in the natural man is that we would be a prideful people, that we would be a, a proud people. And so this idea to, to bind it to ourselves, that we would concentrate on being humble, making ourselves a lowly servant. The mindset is making ourselves like a slave to God, that we would make ourselves lowly, putting ourselves in a place of submission to Christ. The idea is that we would make ourselves nothing, that we might make Christ everything. You see what I'm saying? There's, here's the problem. No one can have two masters, right? We, we heard that in Scripture. But think about it just, just practically speaking. You're either going to submit to God, or you're going to rule your life yourself. You're either going to let God take control, or you're going to take control, but, but there's not a 50-50. One or the other is going to control. And so the mindset is this. you got to be killing your pride. you got to put your humility on that you would submit to God, that God would be the master of your life, that he would be in control. He says, what do you get when you do that? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he would exalt you in due time. And so you humble yourselves, you make yourselves low, and then what happens? Then Christ exalts you when it's the season for you to be exalted. By placing your lives in the mighty hands of God, we won't be exalted here and now. We make ourselves low in the here and now, but when the time comes, we'll be exalted by Christ. But here's the problem with that statement. We are ingrained and trained and, and it's, it's put on us 
that we would be self-sufficient, aren't we? We're, we're ingrained from a young age and from a young mindset that we are to be self-sufficient people. We're to grow up. We're to get to a certain age. We're to move out of our mother and father's house and set up a house for ourselves. When we get married, we're to then have our own household. And we're to have left father and mother. And we're to be sufficient. And any good, decent human being will not have to go back and, and get any help. And will not have to call upon it. That's what's put into our minds is this mindset of self-sufficiency. And there's nothing wrong uh, with being able to take care of yourself financially or physically. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is there is something wrong when you take this mindset that you are somehow able to take care of everything and you're never going to have to call upon anything because that, my friends, places you back in control and takes God out of the driver's seat in your life. We're ingrained to be able to take care of ourselves, handle it, uh, that I'm going to do it all. But that's not good leadership. The good leader doesn't say, I'm going to do everything myself, does he? The good leader of, of, a, of a ship, of a business doesn't say, I'm going to do everything myself. I'm going to take care of everything myself. No, a good leader calls upon those who he's surrounded with to help accomplish a single objective or a single goal. A, good, a, a leader that looks to do everything on their own is not positive he's sinful in his pride to think that he's capable of doing everything on his own well what do you mean brother jason well the reason that we have anxieties the reason that we have anxieties one of those primary reasons is because we refuse to acknowledge that we need the help of the lord in our lives we refuse to acknowledge and refuse to then give those anxieties to the lord that's one of the reasons that we deal with those cares, those depressions, those worries, those things that hold us back is because in our mind, somehow or another, we've convinced ourselves that we're able to take care of it. Oh, no, 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 Brother Jason, I don't believe that. I don't believe I'm able to take care of it. Yes, you do. Because if you didn't believe you were able to take care of it, you'd, you'd give it to God. You would humble yourself and give God control of it. But instead, you want to pray to God and then hang on to it yourself. Say, God, God, I want you to take care of this. And then you go, oh, my God, how am I going to take care of this? You ever done that? God, please take this. How in the world am I going to get through this? You're not. Quite frankly, you're not able. You're not capable. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You sure ain't good enough. I'm looking at you. You ain't pretty enough. But God is. And what's he do? He's got a special interest in you. The one who is able to take care of it has got a special interest in you. And he's just waiting on you to cast those cares upon him. So there's a pride that must be humbled. Second, there is a thief that must be recognized. This is going to get good now. There's a thief that must be recognized. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me real quick. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's a scary verse, isn't it? Let me read that again. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
Who can he take? Who can he, who can he swallow up? Who can he pull down? We've got to be sober-minded. We've got to have a mind that is in control. That, that, that phrase, be sober, literally means be in control. What happens when somebody gets drunk, which is what we would call the opposite of sober? Their mind is no longer what? Good. Only, both, only two of you knew. That means we don't have a very big drinking congregation. Good. All right. To be drunk means I'm no longer sober in my mindset. I'm no longer capable of being self-controlled. And so it says be sober, be self-controlled, be able to control your mind. Be vigilant, be ever looking. The one who is vigilant, it's a military term like the one on the watchtower who's looking out across the sea for the enemy. The one who would turn around and warn everybody, the enemy is here. The enemy is here. And here in verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Be sober-minded, be clear in your thinking. Be vigilant that you would be looking. And what does he say that you're looking for? Satan. And why are you looking for him? Because like a roaring lion, he is looking to devour anybody he can. Looking to devour, to eat them up, to pull them down, to put them just in a, in a clutch. That word adversary is like a, a term used in court. Literally, Satan is going about as our enemy, the one who's the prosecuting attorney in our life, trying to show us as unworthy. He's trying to show you as unvaluable. He was trying to show you as something that's less than what it is. He's trying to show you that you are not a glorious creation in God's, uh, in God's plan. You're not a child of God. You're not what God created you to be. You're less than that. And Satan is looking to convince you of those things. He's like the prosecuting attorney telling you everything you've ever done wrong every bad thought you've ever had and said, because of that, that's why you're no good. Because of that, that's why you can't. Because of that, that's who you really are. You're not a child of God. You're a child of yourself. You're a child of deception. And that's what Satan looks to do. John 10, 10 says that the thief comes to do just three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We have to recognize that Satan is preying on our minds and, and he can weasel his way in a little crack. He'll do it every Single time. He'll get in there and look to steal away your joy. He'll look to kill your witness. He'll look to destroy your sanity. And if he can gain just a little foothold in your life, that's what he'll do. Look at Romans 15, 13 with me. We got that in Miss Loretta. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope Fill you with all joy. What's that next two words? And with all joy and one more time. Peace. I don't know if you remember. Two weeks ago, your pastor preached a message. And he came to this verse and he gave a definition for peace. Does anybody remember what that definition was? Good, I did a great job presenting it. Okay. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. That word literally means complete. All parts made whole. So what was our anxieties? All things pulled apart. Our peace is all things put together. So literally, our anxieties, they're bred from the deceiving, lying, scheming, devourer Satan. He's the one 
that pulls us apart. But the God of hope, Jesus Christ, is the one that puts us back together. That's where our peace comes from. The power of the Holy Spirit is how that verse ends. Our put back together, it doesn't say, now may you get the peace in and of yourself and your abilities. This is with all joy and peace in believing and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that God is the God of peace. Satan is the deceiver who looks to take away that peace. Because you see, the thing is, Satan, if you belong to Jesus, I just want to make sure we understand this. If you belong to Jesus, if you've been saved, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are a blood-bought, redeemed child of God. Satan cannot pluck you from the Father's hand. He can't get you. There was a great battle for your soul. Satan wanted it so bad he could taste it, but you gave your life to Jesus. Jesus said, I'm sorry, Satan, that belongs to me. But guess what? Satan, since the beginning of time, has been deceiving and devouring people. He's been tempting. He's been trying. He's been, he's been going about like a roaring lion, and he is not going to give up. Even though he can't pull you to hell, he can stop you from taking anybody to heaven. Even though he can't pull you out of the Father's hand, he can take your joy and the experience of your life and he can make them miserable if you let him get a foothold in your mind. Satan will not leave you alone just because you've been saved. Satan will not stop just because you've been saved. I dare say that sometimes Satan will fight harder once you're a child of God that he might ruin your witness because Satan knows Satan knows. Don't think he don't know. He's seen it in Paul's life. He saw it in Peter. He saw it in Silas. He saw it in D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon and the great preachers of old. He saw it in Adrian Rogers. And he's seen it in believers since the beginning of time that the biggest enemy to Satan is a believer in God that'll tell somebody about God. And so Satan said, if I want to stop this movement of Jesus Christ, I need to get these believers and stop them from telling people about Jesus. And how can I do that? I can take away their joy. And how can I get their joy? I can get in their minds. Because their minds control their bodies. If I can just twist them. If I can just twist them. Then I'll start to win this battle. And so Satan ain't going to leave you alone once you get saved. He's going to keep devouring you any way he can. Usually starts like this, doesn't it? You're not good enough. To do this? Who who do you think you are anyway? To think that you're capable of doing this? Well, just think about all the bad things you've done. Golly, anybody that's lived the way you've lived, you can't do this. You know that this situation is bad, 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 bad. Ooh, it's bad. Ain't no way this is going to end well. Throw your hands up in there and quit because this is going bad. You know nobody ever survives that disease. You know that. You're done for. Your mama's done for. Your brother's done for. Somebody's done for. You know once you've done that, nobody's ever going to see you the same way again because you've sinned, because you've fallen short. Will nobody ever look at you the same What's wrong with you, Jason Maul? Given your past, you think you're going to preach the word of God? You're crazy. You ain't worth that. You ain't worth preaching the word of God, Jason Maul. 
It's a wonder they let you be the associate pastor of education over at that church. That's where you'll stay forever. Because you ain't good enough to go preach nowhere else. And if you ain't careful, you start to believe it, don't you? Huh? You start to believe that. I ain't good enough. God, with all I've done wrong, I ain't. I can't. I can't raise my children. I can't take care of my family. I can't teach that Sunday school class. I can't tell my neighbor about Jesus because my neighbor saw me get in a fight with my husband last week. He knows I ain't good enough. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's what Satan's done is he just kind of gets that little foothold in there. But we have to be able to recognize Satan for the enemy he is. Look at John 8.44 with me. John 8.44. This is Jesus talking, by the way. You might want to listen. You are of your father the devil. The desires of your father you want to do. He the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar. And the father of it. My friends, you got to look at your enemy. You got to recognize that the enemy is Satan and that he is a liar. That's who he is. He's the father of lies. He's been a liar and a deceiver and a murderer since the beginning. That's what he is. That's what's in his nature. Guess what? If you've been lying since the beginning of time, by now you've gotten good at it, hadn't you? Oh, Satan's the best liar out there. You ever know somebody that was a really good liar? I've met people that lied so well that I think they believed it themselves. Oh, Satan, he's better than they are. Tells you a lie and you believe it. And it's about you. And deep down you know better, but you start to believe what Satan says. My friends, our worries and anxieties come when we start to believe the lies of Satan. Genesis 3.1 said that he's more cunning than any other beast. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Ever since the beginning of mankind, he has been tempting and cunning, and he's been going about to pull man down. And it's worked. Because we, as people, have been unable to recognize the enemy because he tells us, he says, you're the only one dealing with this. Well, you're the only one that feels like this. You're the, uh, think you're a Christian, huh? I bet don't nobody else feel as crazy as you do. You're the only one with these problems. You better not tell nobody about this. You better hold this one in, be crazy all by yourself. Because if you tell anybody, they're never going to look at you the same. You better just deal with this one on your own. 1 Peter 5 says to us, Resist him being steadfast in your faith because the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What? Satan says, you're all by yourself dealing with this one. And God says, no, you're not. I created everything. I know all my creation. And I know that at any given time inside of this church, there's at least 10 people dealing with the same thing. And you're all too proud to look at each other and help each other out. But God says, hey, give it to me. Cast your cares upon me. You're not the only one dealing with it. Tell somebody about it. Get it off your chest. You ain't got to deal with it all by yourself. You know what the beauty of recognizing the enemy is? 
I don't know about you guys. I can handle problems when I know there are problems. Anybody feel the same way? I can, you can give me, you could tell me that the transmission went out on the van and it's going to cost more than I got money in the bank account to pay for. But if you let me know that that's what the problem is, I can, I can deal with that. I can go to the bank and borrow money. I can save money. I can cut the cable bill. I can do something to fix the transmission on the car. But if you suddenly slap me upside the head with something that I didn't see coming, it bothers me. I don't know how to deal with what I can't plan for. Well, guess what, my friends? I'm going to go on and tell you, and when it comes to your anxiety, when it comes to your worry, when it comes to your fear, you can go ahead and be looking and vigilant and sober-minded because the enemy is Satan, and he's the one who's coming, and he's always going to keep coming, so you might as well just keep looking for where he's trying to get that foothold in your life because he's coming, and here's the best part about it. Here's the best part about it. Now, I'm not going to take you down this road. I ain't preaching Satan. I'm preaching Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Pull up Romans 8, 38 and 39 for me, Miss Loretta. This right here makes me want to have a fit. I'm telling you what, this verse right here makes me want to absolutely have a fit. When Satan is the enemy, when Satan is the enemy and you keep him, you see him coming, you think, oh my God, I'm starting to believe it. All you got to do is look at Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. My friends, what that tells me is when you see Satan coming, you feel that anxiety creeping in. You start to worry to the point that you just your chest tightens up and I can't, I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath. I don't know where I'm going to go. You know what you got to do, my friend? You got to look down and say, not today, Satan. You ain't winning today. You ain't got it today, Satan. You know why? Satan, guess what? I serve Jesus. Christ and he said that nothing not you devil nothing can separate me from his love he has a special interest in me Satan he loves me Satan and you can't win big boy huh how about that Satan you get behind me big boy you ain't winning this battle today because I belong to Jesus Christ. You look him right in the eye. Ain't nothing like stomping Satan right in the eye. You look at Satan, all you got to do is tell him this. I belong to Jesus, Satan. Satan, you remember Jesus, don't you? Huh? You remember Jesus, don't you, Satan? You remember thousands of years ago when you thought you'd won? And Jesus was in that borrowed tomb, dead. I mean, doornail dead. He died. Jesus was in that borrowed tomb, dead, Satan, and you was doing a little hell dance. I won, I won, I won. And three days later, you remember Jesus, don't you, Satan? My king said, I'm getting up out of these bed clothes. I'm throwing these grave clothes aside. Somebody move that stone so they can look in and see I ain't here. I'm going back to heaven. I'm going to sit down at the right hand of my father and one day I'm coming back to claim my children and Satan, you can roar around like a lion all you want to but when I come back in on a white horse, you're going to hell, big boy and that's where you're going to stay and I serve that Jesus. So as a blood-bought child of God, when anxiety creeps in, recognize who the enemy is. Satan, get behind me. My victory has already been won. 
You ain't got no dominion in my life, big boy. You may twist me for a minute, but I belong to a king. I belong to a king. There's a pride that must be humbled. There's a thief that must be recognized. And finally this morning, there is a grace that must be grasped. There is a grace that must be grasped. My friends, when we are in the battle and Satan is bearing in on us and anxiety is bearing down hard, the last thing we want to think about is the one thing we need to think about, and that is the grace of God that holds me. The grace of God that sustains me. The grace of God that saved me. Because see, what Satan wants to do is he wants to make us think about what we're worth, and we ain't worth much. But what God said is you're worth it all. You're worth enough that I died for you. You're worth enough that I stretched out my arms and I bled for you. You're worth enough that I loved you enough to grasp you out of hell by my grace. Not because of who you were, not because of what you said, because of what I did and how much I love you. And we have to grasp the magnitude of his grace. You see, what Satan really tries to do is separate you from your feeling of communion with God. He can't break the union. The union happened when you said, Jesus, I want you to save me. Your union happened, but the communion happens every day in your time that you spend with God. And what Satan wants to do is pull you out of your communion with God and make you believe that God isn't hearing your prayers. Make you believe that God can't get that victory. Make you believe that God can't take care of this. But we have to grasp the grace of God that says he will never leave us nor forsake us. So you're not being abandoned by God when you're in your storms. You're not being abandoned. All this is fine and dandy, Brother Jason, but when I'm struggling with an attack or bout or worry or depression, what can I do? What can I do? That's good. You, you, you preached about how, how Jesus has dominion over Satan. You preached about what I can do there. But, but what about when it really starts to happen? What are the practical steps I can take? Well, first thing is, is to just recognize what is happening. Recognize what is happening. Satan is deceiving you. Satan is deceiving you into a state where you feel like you are incomplete and pulled apart. Just recognize it for what it is. You can deal with an enemy that you can see, and that's what's happening. When I start to feel that way, that is Satan making me feel like I'm incomplete and pulled apart. <coughs> but you've got to be able to humble yourself at that point and say, I can't do this. I can't do this, Lord, I need you. And when you get to that place, and only when you get to that place, only when you get to that place. It takes everybody a different amount of time to get there too. So I can't tell you how long it takes you to get there. But only when you get to the place where you recognize, I can't. I can't. I'm going to need a supernatural act of God to get through this. Then you can cast your cares upon the Lord. That word for cast is kind of interesting. Most of you know the fishing term, right? Brother Danny, you're a big fisherman. You cast that lure way out there. And the old-time the old time fishermen would cast, they may still do this, I don't know, cast those nets out and, and blanket that whole area. And that word for cast literally gives the idea of, of dumping it all out there, just throwing it all, letting it go so it can go out and do its thing. That word literally means dumping and throwing it all at Jesus. Just throwing it all at Jesus. You know what that means? It means you're not holding on to anything. 
You're not holding on to anything when you throw it all to Jesus. When it says cast your cares upon him, it literally means throw it all out. Dump it all out. Look at Philippians 4, 6 with me. Philippians 4, 6 says be anxious. There's that word again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. How do you cast your cares upon the Lord? How do you do that? You do it with prayer and thanksgiving. When those moments come and Satan is only attacking your life and you recognize who he is, that's when you find your way to Jesus. You find your way in prayer and let your requests be made known to God in prayer. I like that word thanksgiving that Paul uses. I bet if you would go to the Lord in prayer in your times of worry and you would start to thank him for everything that he's done for you, it wouldn't take you long to quit worrying about whatever he was worried about. You ever done that? Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. I so, said, wait a minute. Well, think about everything God's done for me. Sudden you start to recognize that the other sicknesses you experienced, they weren't death. You start to recognize that every time your child's been sick before, God saw them through. You start to recognize that even if that person you prayed for didn't survive on this side of glory, you know that they survived in heaven and were healed that that healing was still made true. You start to realize that the fact that you're still here means that God has never left you nor forsaken you, just like he said. And when you start to count your blessings, suddenly your worries start to seem pretty minuscule. They start to seem pretty small. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount tells us, Don't worry. Do not worry about your life, what you eat, what you drink, not about your body, not about what you put on. Is not this life more than food? Is the body more than clothing? And he goes on to say, look at the birds. Thank you, Miss Loretta. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father, what? The birds don't plant crops. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't have a harvest. They don't do anything each day to worry about tomorrow. Yet your heavenly Father feeds. And look at that last question. Are you not of more value than they? <clears throat> My friends, it really comes down to trusting God. How do we deal with our anxieties? We learn to trust in God. <clears throat> if God takes care of the birds, let me go ahead and answer this. Are you not of more value than that? Yes, you are. Because in all of his creation, when he got to mankind, do you know what he said? He said, I created them in my image. He didn't say that about a bird. He didn't say that about a fish. He didn't say it about a tree. He said it about people. He said, I created them in my image. We're special. And he cares more about us than the birds of the sky. And yet the birds of the sky have more faith 
that he's going to take care of them than we show. It's about trusting God. My dear friend and fellow pastor Eric Reed made this statement on this subject, and I think it, it sums it up very well. Trusting God's sovereignty over everything shatters our reasons to fear anything. Trusting God's sovereignty over everything shatters our reasons to fear anything. If you think about it, that's what it boils down to. Any reason that you can give me as to why you're worried or why you're anxious literally shatters when I say God is in control. Because if you believe that he's a good father, then you have to believe that he's in control. And if you believe that your good father is in control, then you have to believe it's going to be okay. If my God is all-powerful and my God is all-knowing, and he says that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, then whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? There's some of you today shackled by a heavy load this morning. Shackled by a burden of anxiety, shackled by a burden of fear, shackled by a burden of depression or worry or concern. I'm going to call you to do something for me this morning. Not for me, do it for yourself. Let me rephrase that. Don't do anything for me. I'm going to call you to do something for yourself this morning. Recognize that that comes from Satan. And during the hymn of invitation, make your way down to this altar and reclaim your peace. Reclaim your joy. Come down to this altar. Lay that anxiety at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm not, I'm not going away miserable today. I'm not going away burdened today. I'm not going away letting Satan have any more control in my life. I'm going away in the joy of the Lord. Cast your cares upon him this morning. But there's somebody here who spent a lifetime fighting this battle all by yourself. You've been down this road over and over and over again, and you've tried to fight this battle all by yourself. You've been to church before. You've heard the preacher talk about getting saved before. You've heard all these things before. But this morning you've recognized that your anxieties and your fears and all of these things that consume you, that there is an answer, and that answer is Jesus. Won't you come this morning? And let's talk about what it means to give our lives to Jesus. So believers, I want three people this morning. I found it's easy if we give instructions. There's three groups of people in here this morning. There's somebody that needs to come lay their burdens at the feet of Jesus. There's somebody that needs to get saved. And there's a whole church full of people that need to be praying for both of them. So this morning, that's what I want you doing. I want you praying. For those who need to lay their burdens down, I want those of you with burdens to come lay them down and claim your joy. And if you've never been saved and God is pricking your heart right now, I want you to come forward and let's talk about what it means to be saved. Let's pray. Father God, God, we stand before you so broken, shackled by heavy loads, shackled by our concerns and our failures and our anxieties, attacked by the enemy, Lord God. And God, right now, right now I call out to you and I recognize that Jesus, you've already defeated Satan. That Satan has no dominion. 
and that anything he says is a lie because he is the father of lies. God, free your children this morning. God, convict someone to lay their burden at your feet and leave it there this morning and not be shackled by this load anymore. And God, there's someone here who's endured their whole life on their own and wondered why they never get peace. They always feel frazzled. They always feel pulled apart, pulled in a million directions, Lord God. Give them the courage to lay their lives at your feet, Jesus, and be healed from their debt of sin this morning that plagues them. God, we promise you we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all the great things you do and all of God's people said. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.